Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. Take out your Bible while you're thinking about that and look at who's sitting next to you and turn to Gospel of John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1, when you get there, stand to your feet. We're going to need to do a little calisthenics today just to get the blood circulating and get it, go- get it going. You can get a nap this afternoon. That's okay. That's okay. But I'm glad you're here. You're here. We might as well make the best of it, right? All right. God's already been here. God showed up today. I'm glad I did. Lift your Bible in the air. Say it with me. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2023. Amen. We need a good year. We need a good year. John chapter 1, just one verse to begin. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, say it with me, was God. Father, I pray for your anointing over your Word today. God, show us some things that we have missed God, we miss so much in Scripture because we, we, we don't study it deep enough. We, we don't try hard enough. But, God, I pray today that we will be attentive. God, even, even if we got a little bit of sleep last night, God, I pray that that won't affect the way that we hear your word today. God, I pray that you'll just reach into our hearts and our souls, and, God, that you'll give us the message that we need for this day and for this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, you might be wondering how we could have a Christmas service on New Year's Day. I mean, who has a Christmas service on New Year's Day? December 25th is traditionally celebrated as Jesus' birthday. You know that. However, most Bible scholars will agree that his birth was not on that date. But that particular date was chosen for other reasons, which I won't get into right now. Many Bible scholars believe that Jesus was born in the beginning of October while the weather was still warm enough for the shepherds to be in the fields keeping watch over their sheep. Others believe that he was born in August or near the end of September, while some even believe that Jesus was born in the spring. But truthfully, the exact date doesn't really matter. The exact date of his birth If it mattered, the Bible would have told us so. God has given you everything you need right here. If God wanted us to know, if God deemed it as significant, he would have told us the exact day and the exact time that Jesus was born. God told us how it happened. He told us where it happened, but he doesn't give us many clues as to when it happened, and there was a very significant reason for that, and this is what I want you to get today. We think of Christmas as the birth of Jesus, but a birth carries with it the idea of a beginning. In our mind, a birth is the beginning of someone's life, 
and it's the beginning of their existence. But Christmas isn't the beginning of Jesus. But it's a celebration of the incarnation of God. Incarnation meaning a person who embodies a deity in the flesh. Christmas is when our creator God, who is eternal and everlasting, came to us in human form. Now, we made Christmas about so many things, decorating the house and getting together with family and friends and buying each other gifts. We made Christmas about Santa Claus, songs about snow, and movies about elves and reindeer. And some people will say, well, that's what Christmas is all about. But if that's your idea of Christmas, then you're missing something very, very important. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love the Christmas holiday. I've loved it a little bit too much in the last few days, same as you. Somebody brought us two mounds of cookies and sweets and said, I, I will, I will, they texted me last night and said, you know, have, has the staff gotten many cookies and stuff over Christmas? I said, we've had plenty to eat. And uh, I don't know how many pounds those were. You said, I don't know how many pounds of that you brought in, but there is, y'all help yourself. Consider yourself staff today. And, 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 and you can help. We, we absolutely don't need all of that ourselves. But we, we made Christmas about so many things. Uh, and, and, and I love it. I mean, I, I enjoy a lot of things about uh, the Christmas holiday. I, I don't think that God is opposed to family spending time together. I don't think that God is opposed to uh, us sharing a meal or buying gifts for the people that we love. And I certainly don't think that he's opposed to the happiness and the cheer that it brings us. As a matter of fact, we should probably be doing those things more than just one time per year. We shouldn't have to have a holiday on the calendar in order to spend quality time with our family. The Bible is filled with feasts. Feasts that were instituted by God for his people. There were seven total uh, in total. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the First Fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. God initiated times of celebration where his people would gather together as families and as a community. But every feast pointed to Jesus. Every feast pointed to Jesus. I've been trying to teach you in the last couple of years around here that everything in this book points to Jesus. Every verse of Scripture that you read, every chapter, every book that you read, every story that you read is pointing you to Jesus. If you can't see Jesus, go back and read it again. Christmas is only about one thing. At this time of year as believers, we need to remember that Christmas is only about Jesus. Christmas is about the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus. It's a celebrating of the life-changing, history-changing moment when God, our Creator, stripped Himself of all of His heavenly glory, and He came down to us and became one of us to save us from sin and from hell. Now, having told you that, I want you to listen closely to the Scripture again this morning and intently listen to what God is trying to get across to you. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John then begins to narrate here in the next verse. He said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John talking about himself. But then he says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This world doesn't really know, nor does it care to know who Jesus is. The world knows Santa Claus much more intimately than it knows Jesus. But sadly, many Christians struggle to get a handle on this. They know that at Christmas time, they're supposed to be celebrating the arrival of Christ, but they're more attracted to what the world has turned it into. They're more attracted to the decorations and the parties and the gift-giving and the music, so much so that those things consume more of their time and more of their energy than Christ. They'll ask, well, how can I celebrate the birth of Jesus and keep Santa Claus in the mix? And then trying to justify what they want to do, they'll proceed to speak of all of the good qualities of Santa Claus. We teach our children about an uh, immortal being who lives in a beautiful, magical place. He's surrounded by mystical creatures, and he's served by immortal beings. We tell them about how he's able to watch and, and see if they're being good or bad. We tell them that how much he loves children and how he wants to bring good gifts to them, and he can do it all in one night because he can make time stand still. We make Santa Claus sound very godlike. Our children are excited at the prospect of getting to see Santa and to talk to Santa, get their picture taken with Santa. They're excited because mom and dad are excited. We have made Santa Claus a big deal, but how big of a deal have we made Jesus to our children? If we would ask our children to tell us what the Christmas story is all about, what would their answer be? For a month before Christmas, when you turn on your TV set, you'll find all kinds of movies about Santa Claus. Snowmen, elves, but it's nearly impossible to find one about Jesus. You can go to your local department store and see all kinds of decorations, but none of them have anything to do with Jesus. Please, church, listen to what I'm about to say. You will never see Santa Claus in this church because Christmas is about Jesus, and it's only about Jesus. Amen. We'll not detract from it. We won't compromise our convictions. Do what you do at home. I don't mind. Honestly, I don't. But just so there is no confusion and no misunderstanding, here in God's church, Christmas will only be about Jesus. Please listen to what I'm telling you here. This world doesn't know who Jesus is. So we can't expect the world to celebrate his incarnation. They don't know who he is. They don't know why Jesus came. They, they don't believe that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life and died on the cross for their sins. They don't believe that he defeated death by rising from the grave. The world doesn't know who Jesus is. They don't understand his purpose for coming into this world. But I'm not sure the believers understand this either. Jesus should be the only reason for the season, but we're living in a world that is trying to erase his existence. I saw in the news 
The Kings County in Washington State had banned all Christian and Jewish religious displays for their county employees. Because, and I, and I quote, some employees may not share your religion, practice any religion, or share in your enthusiasm for holiday decorations. Displays of religious symbols may only be displayed in an employee's personal workspace in the warehouse. Christian symbols, major scenes, crosses are being banned from public view and they're removed from our government properties and from our schools because the world is trying to remove Jesus from history. But I want you to know the fact remains, nobody can get Christ out of Christmas. It is what it is. It'll always be what it is. The world can call it by a different name and celebrate it in a different way, but it still is what it is. They can try to eliminate it or make it inclusive so as not to offend the other religions of the world, but it still is what it is. They can demand a separation of church and state, but try as they may, nobody can get Christ out of Christmas because the very word means Christ's incarnation. The word Christmas comes from the Middle English, Christmasse, which in turn comes from Old English, Christus Messe, literally meaning Christ's Mass. It stems from the Hebrew word Messah, which means unleavened bread. You're going to learn something here. In the Bible, leaven represented sin. So at the Passover in Egypt, God's people who were slaves in Egypt prayed for God to deliver them and to set them free from their bondage. So God instituted the feast of the Passover. Everything at the Passover pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the, the lamb, the, the perfect lamb that would be slain. The unleavened bread that God commanded to be offered with the Passover re represented the sinless body of the Messiah. The one who was going to come someday and set God's people free from their bondage. Just as the unleavened bread of the Passover, Christmas, Christmas, speaks of the sinless body of God. It's telling us that our, that our sinless and perfect creator took on a body of flesh. God was incarnated. He came into this world as a human being in the person of Jesus so he could rescue us from our curse. But Jesus wasn't like us. He was perfect and he was sinless, the unleavened bread of God. Hence Jesus' words at the Last Supper. When he broke the unleavened bread and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is broken for you. He was telling his disciples, I am the unleavened bread. I'm the one that the Passover has prophesied about. I am Christmas. I am Christmissa. I am the sinless body of God. There's some biblical truths that we don't fully understand. It's not that they can't be understood, but we don't understand them because we found it easier, more palatable to take our own ideas and inform those ideas into what we choose to believe. It's easier for us to create a, a hybrid worldly Christianity that fits in whether we're inside of the church or outside of the church. But in doing so, we've left the purity and the truth of God's original message. We have traded the power and the purity of God's truth for a cheap imitation. A while back, I made the mistake of watching a video of an Elvis impersonator that popped up on my cell phone. Now you all who are more savvy than me know how this works. You watch one, you get a million of them. I want you to know I have gotten I don't know how many Elvis tribute artists now videos popping up on my phones. I've seen white Elvises and black Elvises. I've seen Asian Elvises and female Elvises. I've seen tall Elvises, short Elvises, fat Elvises, skinny Elvises. They all have jet black hair. They all have sideburns, a sequin jumpsuit, and they all say thank you very much. 
There was a 16-year-old kid. 16-year-old kid had the whole outfit. His hair was dyed jet black. He had the sideburns, had the jumpsuit on. And the first thing that he says is, I'm not really Elvis. I'm just a tribute artist. I'm thinking, kid, we know you're not Elvis. Elvis was dead for 40 years before you were ever born. But I get the sneaking suspicion that they all think they're Elvis. I, I really do. I think they think that they're Elvis, but they're so far removed from the real person that they aren't impersonating the original, but they're impersonating another impersonator. They've all copied a copy of the copy of a copy until the original Elvis, the real de deal, the real guy, has been lost in the show. Some people have left the truth of what God has spoken, and, and they left God's word. And they've created their own religion and their own traditions. There are many things that are done today in the name of God and Christianity that are found nowhere in the scriptures. There are rituals and traditions that are practiced in our churches that have been passed on from generation to generation that were never practiced or even spoken of in the Bible. These things have become such a part of our lives that we, even now, when we, we know that they're not from God's word, we still refuse to let them go. We do it because mom and dad did it. Mom and dad did it because grandma and grandpa did it. Grandma and grandpa did it because somebody before them did it. But it's just a copy of a copy of a copy and nothing like the original. And God's truth has been lost in our traditions. Instead of conforming to what God has spoken in the Bible, we've chosen to hold on to our traditions and on to our opinions. And we're somehow convinced that God should accommodate us. We believe that God should change his truth and accept what we believe and what we practice, even if it offends him. Most people don't understand the gospel. Many church people, however well-meaning, don't understand what it really means to be a Christian. They don't understand who Jesus is or why he came to this earth as a baby and then died on a cross as a man. They don't understand why it was necessary for him to overcome death and to rise physically from the grave. Some think that being a Christian is having just a one-time encounter with God and then going on their merry way without ever changing who they are or how they live. Some think that being a Christian is about attending church services or going through a ritual of the church. Some think that being a Christian is just being connected to a local church, while others think that just believing in God and that he exists or being kind of a good person is all that matters, but they are so wrong. We've taken the truth of the gospel and we have reduced it to a rite of the church. We've reduced the gospel down to something that contains only things that we have a taste for and don't cost us anything in return. But what we hold on to is only a cheap imitation of the original. The Bible is very clear. It says, to all who did receive him, to those who have surrendered to him as their creator and as their savior, to those who believed on his name, to those who trust in the truth of God's, God's incorruptible, indestructible, everlasting, infallible word, he, meaning Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. The right to become a child of God comes only to those who accept Jesus as the Bible describes him and then surrender to him as the Lord of their life. No other Jesus will do. The secular Jesus won't do. The religious Jesus won't do. The worldly Jesus won't do. There is only one Jesus, and the Bible tells us about him. The world tells us that in the beginning, the Word of God, that in the beginning was God. Now, if you have a problem with that, you're already in trouble. In the beginning, at our beginning, God already was. 
Everything and everyone that we know is the result of God's creation. There is nothing in the reality of our existence that was not created and designed by God. Nothing came about on its own. Nothing appeared accidentally out of nowhere. There was never a big bang. Nothing has ever evolved. But absolutely everything is the result of God's creation because that's what the Bible says. Wake up and say amen there. Yeah, it's a little bit better. That means that everything and everyone that has ever existed has had a beginning. Now listen to this. Everything and everyone that has ever existed has had a beginning from a solar system that's millions of light years away to the sparrow that's eating bugs in your backyard. Absolutely everything has had a particular moment in time when it came into existence by the hand of God. But God himself is eternal. Our creator has always been. You need to get this. God has no beginning, and he will have no end. He is eternal and everlasting. He is our alpha and our omega, our beginning and our ending. But God himself stands outside of his creation, and he exists outside of the limits of time. God is infinitely above and beyond anything that we could ever imagine him to be. Our God, our creator, is indescribable. The scriptures tell us that before the beginning of time, as we know it, God already was. Eternity existed for infinity, and our indescribable creator was always present. That one truth is massively beyond our comprehension. Everything that we know has had a beginning, and it will, and it will have, a, have an end. It will be born, and then it will die. There's nothing that we're familiar with that we can compare to our creator to. God is so great that he's above and beyond our ability of our mind to understand him. But our creator, our indescribable God, who is beyond the limitation of our knowledge, still wants us to know him. Our indescribable creator desires a personal, intimate relationship with us. That's how special we are in God's eyes. But how does our indescribable God make himself personally known to us when our brain isn't developed enough to comprehend him? This is where the word of God comes in. This is why you need to know your Bible. This is the importance of the Christmas story as told to us in the Gospel of John. The narrative that God has given to us in the Gospel of John is God's way of explaining to us who he is. At the very beginning of the Bible, we read the words, In the beginning God created. In his creation, we are told that God created man. There was nothing else in God's creation like man because man was created in the very image and the likeness of God. Nothing else can, can claim that. When God created man, he gave to him something that he didn't give to anything else in his creation. He gave to man an eternal soul. God gave man an eternal soul because God wanted an everlasting relationship with him. When time was over and the world is gone, God wanted man to remain with him. When time finally comes to an end and eternity continues on, God wanted man to be able to step outside of the limits of time and spend eternity with him. But God wanted man to love him and to love him by choice, so God gave man the free will to choose to love him or not. Now, if you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know that in his free will, man chose against his creator, and he sinned, and because he sinned, he was cursed. 
with the sin curse came death. Man brought sin into God's creation. Everything in God's creation would now die because man's sin had infected it. The animals would die. The plants and trees would die. The stars would burn out. The planets would deteriorate. But the greater tragedy was man himself. Even though his body would now die, man still had an eternal soul. But now instead of spending eternity with his creator, man's sin would separate him from God. And to be separated from God is the very definition of hell. But God, who knows all things, already knew all of this was going to happen. So even before creation, listen to this, this is good stuff. Even before creation, God already had a plan to redeem man. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world. He was chosen before the creation of the world, before God created Adam. He knew the man was going to fail, and he already had his plan in place to redeem him. The Old Testament scriptures are a detailed story of God's, how God's plan unfolded. For 4,000 years, God controlled history. He manipulated kings and parted seas and stopped the sun in the sky to make sure that his plan would be fulfilled. And then we're given the gospel of Matthew where we're introduced to the hero of God's salvation story. God introduced our Savior in the same way that each of us have been introduced to this world. After 4,000 years of waiting, God sent the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one who would pay the price for our sin and break our curse, but the Savior that God sent wasn't who anyone expected him to be because God sent a baby. The Hebrew people were looking for a king, a powerful and charismatic leader who would conquer their enemies and rule their nation and set it atop the world. The world was looking for a rebel and a warrior who would challenge the kingdoms of their day, but nobody thought to look in the manger. But God who desires a relationship with us, are you still paying attention? God who desires a relationship with us, who wants to, us to know him, introduced himself to us in a way that we could understand him. Matthew 1, 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Our creator was incarnated, arriving in the flesh so we could know him. But why should we give attention to his birth? We should give attention to his birth because God is trying to explain to us a heavenly truth. Mary was full of a faith far greater than her years, I'm certain. Heaven's own heart had beaten in her womb for nine months, and then out of her body came God's omnipotence cloaked in man's limitation. Her child was flesh and bones, yet he was also the perfect perfection of deity. He felt hunger because he was fully human, but he'd later feed 5,000 people because he was fully God. He grew thirsty because he was fully human, and yet he would one day walk on water because he was fully God. His mother was Mary, the child was Jesus, and his was a birth like no other, for in him God our creator took on human flesh. The word that was in the beginning was with God. The word that was God, the word that existed for all eternity, came down to us. Amen. Secular history leaves us with the belief that kings, dictators, and presidents shape our world. 
Most items considered newsworthy today revolve around these powerful figures. And they demand front page headlines, but the world's way isn't God's way. At the time when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus was one of the most powerful men in the world. It was said of him that he came to Rome and made a, a, a bricks and left it a city of marble. He transformed the world, not just Rome, with roads and armies. Mourners at his funeral comforted themselves with the belief that he was a god and therefore immortal. His followers believed that Caesar had shaped the world, but as to impacting the world, Caesar Augustus did nothing in comparison to the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. Nobody thought to look in the cradle. While we exalt our leaders, honor our presidents, and follow our dictators and champion our heroes, we abort our babies because we don't understand that it is the cradle and not the throne that God has chosen to impact our existence. Now hear the scripture again. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus, our Messiah, was with God in the beginning. Before time began and anything was ever spoken into existence, Jesus already was. Jesus is eternal as God is eternal. And Jesus, uh, because Jesus and our Creator are one and the same. This is yet another Bible truth that's difficult for us to understand. When we read the story of Mary and Joseph, we somehow think that Jesus had a beginning. After all, we, we read how he was miraculously conceived and how God placed his seed in the womb of a young virgin. And from that seed, Jesus was born a natural birth. So we assume that Jesus had a beginning and we want to celebrate his birthday. We want to celebrate the beginning of his life. We somehow think that Jesus was born to be some kind of superman, a, a half-man, half-God who would have the ability to do things and perform miracles that nobody else could do. But that concept of who Jesus is is totally wrong because Jesus is God and Jesus had no beginning. John clearly tells us that Jesus is our creator. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now let me try to explain this. As our loving creator, God wanted us to know him. From the time that God created man, his desire was to spend eternity with him, but we messed up. We sinned, we became cursed, separated from God, and we changed our eternal destiny from heaven with God to hell, away from God. But God loves us so much that he left the splendor of his throne to come into this cursed world to save us. He left heaven. He left behind the walls of jasper and gates of pearl. He left behind streets of gold and the river of life. And he left behind his throne to come here and save us. He left the worship of heaven. He left behind the angels and the elders and the living creatures worshiping and praising him with all of heaven's focus on him. And he traded it for a cross where people would ridicule him and make fun of him. He left the purity of heaven. There is no evil in heaven. There's no sin, no injustice, no disappointments, and no pain. But he left it all to come to earth to save you and me. Our eternal creator, the light of the world, left the splendor of heaven, and he came to this earth. And where did he choose to arrive? He chose to arrive in a stable, in the form of a helpless infant with a manger for a bed in a sin-sick world that wanted him to die right outside of his door. He chose to arrive in poverty. He wasn't born to a king and queen, but he was born into a family of a poor carpenter. He chose to arrive in homelessness. Immediately, Mary and Joseph had to flee to preserve the life of their child. They left their home, they left their country, and they left their possessions. They had absolutely nothing, and they struggled to survive. 
He chose to arrive in loneliness. He was forsaken and betrayed. His own people rejected him. The world didn't accept him, and the church that should have embraced him wanted him to die. He chose to come into a world that was wrecked by sin. Injustice was everywhere. The strong took advantage of the weak. The rich took advantage of the poor. The spiritually elite disenfranchised the common man. There was wickedness and violence everywhere, but he chose to leave heaven and come into this world just to save us. That's how much God loves us. God loves you so much that he willingly put himself in the most difficult situations that life could ever offer. Our great high priest stripped himself down of all of his glory and all of his majesty, and he subjected himself to the very worst that man could offer. Have you ever stopped to consider that because of Jesus, God can identify with you? There isn't anything that you have suffered that he hasn't suffered and more. Our creator God has felt every pain. He's endured every sorrow and suffered every loss. God understands what you're going through because he chose to come down to us and endure the very same things. We're not celebrating a birthday, but we're celebrating the arrival of our Savior. We're celebrating the incarnation of our God. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus came for the lowest of society. He came for the outcasts and for those outside of the community of faith. That's us. That's all of us. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Romans 8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why God stepped down from his throne. That's why he left heaven. That's why he came to a stable, to loneliness and homelessness. That's why he suffered rejection and ridicule. That's why he allowed himself to be beaten and abused and nailed to a cross. Our creator came to mend our relationship with him. He came to break the curse of sin and to become the bridge between God and man. He came to restore us to God's intentions so we could fill God's plan for our life. He came for us to reach out to all people, the good, the bad, the rich, the poor, the young, and the old. He came for you because he loves you. Sin, evil, and injustice has created problems, pain, and anxiety in our lives. But Jesus came to offer us life. He came to bring us hope and help. He journeyed from heaven to this vile place because he loves us that much. Jesus, our creator and our God, came to us, and he willingly gave himself for us. So it only seems reasonable that we should give our life to him. We need to surrender to him just like he surrendered himself for us. We need to give up our own will and say, okay, God, I'm yours. Here's my life. Here's my talent, my ability, all that I am, all that I have. I'm giving it to you. I want to have the relationship with you that you desire to have with me. That's salvation. That's salvation. Salvation isn't just acknowledging that you're a sinner and your sin is wrong and then asking God to forgive you. Becoming a Christian isn't going to church or going through some man-made ritual. It's not about an emotional trip to the altar and saying a little prayer, but salvation is surrendering your life fully to God just like Jesus surrendered his life fully for you. 100% or nothing. Verse 10 says he was in the world and though the world was made by him, the world didn't recognize him. Many people still don't recognize Jesus. Some think of him as a historical figure. Some see him as a helpless baby in a manger. Some think of him as a brilliant teacher and a miracle worker. Some go as far as to think of Jesus as a martyr who died on a cross. 
But Jesus is much more than that. He is our God and our creator and the giver of eternal life. John says, in him is life. In him is life. Jesus is our creator and he is our God, but many find it much easier to keep him as a baby. It's safe for us to travel every year back to Bethlehem and celebrate the birthday of a child. It's safe to picture him as a helpless child in a manger. It's easier to stay in the past and celebrate a memory. But as we do, we're denying who Jesus is. The story of Christmas, as wonderful as it is, is ancient history. It's over 2,000 years old. And even though we're to be knowledgeable of it, nowhere in the Bible does God command us to focus on it. But God has told us that our focus should be on the eastern sky. We should be sober and alert, watching and waiting for his return as the conquering king. Because God came down to us, because of Calvary, you and I are free to choose. We can freely choose to have a personal relationship with the God that created us. Some people have confused a relationship with an acquaintance. They bumped into Jesus a couple of times while they were at church, but they don't really know him. They've seen him at work, but they don't know him. They have his book on their nightstand and his picture on their wall, but they don't know him. My fear is that some of you are not going to make it. You understand tradition. You understand rites and rituals, but you have left the original for a copy of a copy because you do not understand the gospel. You don't understand who Jesus is, and you don't have the relationship with your creator that he wants to have with you. Our creator came down to us, and he became one of us so he could save us. He came to us so we could be born, not with a natural birth, but born of God, a child of God, to all who did receive him, to those who accept him for the true, he truly is our creator, our God, and our savior, to those who believed in his name, to those who trust in the word for salvation, he gave the right to become children of God. It's not about religion. It's not about rites and rituals and traditions, but it's about a relationship with the one that created you. God gave his very best for you. Why not in this brand new year give yourself back to him? I'm talking about a change. I'm talking about a change. You, you can sit in church and you can take notes and carry your Bible and, and look the part, but if there is no change in how you are living, you're a fake. You are a fake. Because anybody that has met Jesus walks away a different person. The past is gone, the sin is buried, and he gives new life. God did all that for you. What's keeping you from doing that for him? Father, I pray today for your anointing. God, over this invitation time, God, we're entering a new year. God, what better moment for us to start our life right We've done it wrong for so long. We've, we've made excuses and we've tried to come up with our own ideas and, and slide them by and hope that you accept it and that someday when our life's over, even though we've lived in a, a pose to you, God, you'll just give us heaven and give us a mansion on the street of gold. But God, we've stopped reading the book. We've left the truth. We've left the truth. We're reading a copy of a copy of a copy that just tells us what we want to hear. God, I pray today there'll be some serious changes made. God, that we'll see what happened the day that Jesus came into this world and why he came. And God, we might submit ourselves to you as you submitted yourself to the humiliation, the pain, the heartache of living life in our world just so you could save us. Father, bless this time in Jesus' name. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. 
We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.